This episode is brought to you by Verger CBD and Delta 8 products. Verger offers only the highest quality products for relaxation, rejuvenation, and concentration. Delta 8 is the newest legal recreational way to enjoy hemp. Verger has Delta 8 edible and smokable products from gummies to vape pens. If you are 21 or older, check them out on Facebook or also at their website at vergercbd.com. That's V-E-R-D-U-R-E-C-B-D.com. Also, be sure to take advantage of a special 20% off for our listeners with promo code UNKNOWN20 at checkout. I love Verger's Delta 8 CBD products so much it helps me relax at night and enjoy some fun out with my friends because I do not like drinking. Some states and locations are limited. Remember, vergercbd.com and unknown20 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by ShapeConnect. For all our business owners and leaders out there seeking to solve challenges, improve operations, and grow faster, we are excited to introduce to you the ShapeConnect business software and services matching platform. Most small and growing businesses can gain advantages from leveraging outside experts and firms to define new strategies and reduce their workload. So what projects or challenges are you ready to tackle? From building a new website to convert more leads to selecting and implementing an ERP software to streamline operations, ShapeConnect can help you accelerate the process of making the right decisions for your business. Visit shapeconnect.com to sign up and share your business needs with a strategic advisor today. Thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who can count to infinity twice, <laughs> Mike Vanda Bogart. Uh, thanks, Joe, and thank you once again uh, to everyone that's tuned in. Joe and I have been off the air for uh, a few weeks here, but we're, we're back in the saddle and ready to go. Um, so not a lot of updates this episode, so we're going to get right to the Patreon supporter shout-outs. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Cassandra McCurry, Stacy Kate, Eileen uh, Delwo, uh, Marissa Tippett. I bet it's Eileen Delwu. Delwu, sorry, Eileen. Um, you're probably right. I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Marissa Tippett, uh, June from the Murders, Mysteries, and Meows podcast, uh, Ashley Holt, and Elizabeth Barney. And this, I'd uh, like to give a special episode shout out to Elizabeth Barney for. Uh, recommending this case and also providing some uh, kind of local uh, descriptions of the exact trail that uh, Sam went missing on. And I was joking with her when we were chatting back and forth, she may have to become our Pacific Northwest local expert because she's hiked and climbed a lot of places around the North Cascades. That's awesome. We'll have to have her on the show. Yeah. So uh, that's all I have. Uh, Anything from you, Joe? 
Oh, we'll get right into it. All right. All right, everybody. Let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. August 1st, 2018, a 28-year-old set off on a solo hike of Vesper Peak in the remote wilderness of the North Cascades in Washington State. As an experienced hiker who's hiked this route multiple times, it should have been a routine day hike. However, she was never heard from or seen again. This launched one of the largest search and rescue efforts in the state's history. Join us this week as we investigate the disappearance of Samantha Sayers. Vesper Peak Trail in the North Cascades is about 74 miles northeast of Seattle or an hour and 40-minute drive. So it's up there. The peak is located in Mount Baker, Snoqualmie. <laughs> Dang it. I, okay, I practiced this. We, practiced this. We, we definitely practiced yeah, this. Yeah, we did. Snoqualmie. Snoqualmie. <laughs> Snoqualmie. Snoqualmie National Forest. It's spelled S-N-O-Q-U-A-L-M-I-E. I had to search a lot of different videos till I heard someone say it. So I hope they're correct. Yes. Uh, the forest is 1.7 million acres, more than double the size of Joshua Tree National Park. Mount Rainier is about 157 miles south by car. <clears throat> While describing the area where Sam went missing, we'll generally be describing the broader location of Mount Baker or the National Forest in the North Cascade region, which is basically applicable. Uh, we'll note specific uh, locations when we talk about them in the case. So, yeah, we, I, I included that because in past episodes, people have mentioned that we sometimes flip around from very local descriptions to, like, really broad. So a lot of our location profile is going to be kind of the North Cascades region. But we're actually lucky with this case. Um, Elizabeth, who recommended this case, actually provided a very in-depth description of the hike up to Vesper, Vesper Peak, which I'll go over in a, in a bit. So it's saying here that 62% of Washington's population lives within 70 miles of this forest. So yeah. it's easy road access. So it's the most visited forest in the United States. So mm -hmm. a lot of people are actually going here. It's very heavily trafficked uh, for being that far in the northwest. This hike that Sam did, though, is actually pretty remote and rugged. So the forest in general is visited a lot, but this area where she hiked is not very heavily traveled. Okay. So, so she... she uh, was more like a local in the area that just did all the different hikes and things like that. Yeah, she lived in the Seattle area. Okay. So. Uh, the peak was ascended in 1918 during a mountaineer's outing, uh, but they were likely preceded by prospectors and geological survey party led by Lewis C. Fletcher. The steep north face was first climbed in 1968 by Bruce Garrett and Jim Langdon. The forest is home to more glaciers and snowfields than any other national forest outside of Alaska with more than 11 major glaciers. And I know this one because when I wanted to do my crevasse rescue training, like yeah. Washington state is like where you go. Yeah. I mean, either Mount Rainier or this national forest is where you're going to find 
a lot of the glaciers in the U.S. Yeah, they teach you. For, it's pretty inexpensive if, uh, outside of flying there. Yeah. It's like a couple hundred bucks for the whole weekend. They'll teach you, like, self-rescue from a crevasse via, via rope. That'd and be fun to, to do sometime. Yeah, like how to rope up and tether to each other and cross a snowfield. Because yeah. I know we've talked about in other episodes that some of the most dangerous things you can do is traversing a snowfield on a glacier. Yeah. <laughs> so if I knew how to do that, I'd feel much better when we go uh, on foot through those. So the climate in the North Cascades varies significantly by location and elevation. The western slope of the range is wet and cool with 60 to 250 inches of precipitation a year. This creates what is known as a temperate rainforest in the lower valleys. So if you've ever been to like the Olympic National Park area, you'll you'll know exactly what we're talking about, temperate forest, a rainforest. It's very wet. It's very dense. Um, cool places to hike. I've only seen pictures. I want to go so bad. Like that lush green. Mm-hmm. I, like I, I think the image on the back of our logo yeah. is like a picture from in Probably. that, at that region of the United States. I'm pretty certain it is just because yeah. it's so green and, and beautiful. Uh, summers are generally drier than winters with warmer Eastern air and cooler Western air meeting over the Cascades to form thunderstorms. The Eastern slope lies in a rain shadow since much of the moisture coming from the West is blocked, creating semi-arid Eastern lowlands. As elevation rises, so does the precipitation, which leads to massive snowfall and glaciation at higher levels. Uh, Vesper, uh, Vesper Peak is 6,221 feet, not super tall. Mm-hmm. The peak offers gentle south, uh, gentle south and east slopes with, sheer, with a sheer north face. So it's easy to go up the south and east side. North face, I'm guessing, is more for climbers. And Yeah, it's pretty popular for uh, technical mountain climbing uh, f- from all the research I did. So. Okay. Or if you don't want to do that, it's, it's still a kind of a technical hike to get to the top, but it, it's not an easy hike by any stretch of the imagination, but it's definitely doable. Okay. So the entire forest consists of five 6,000-foot mountains in the south and seven 8,000-foot mountains in oh, the no, north. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, my bad on the notes. Um, so the, par- the forest is generally the mountains in the south are five to 6,000 feet range. And as you go north <laughs> in the forest, they're in the seven to 8,000 foot range. This is my bad reading. <laughs> this is when people are like, you just got off Wikipedia. It's like, yes, yes, we did. <laughs> well, I pulled a lot of this from the, the Forest Service, too. Okay. Uh, the forest is home to two volcanoes, Mount Baker, uh, 10,781 feet, and Glacier Peak at 10,525 feet. So the last eruption on Baker uh, was on 9-7 of 1880, and the last eruption of Glacier Peak was 1700. So we're, like, due for both of them just go off yeah. at the same time, right? It's, it's <laughs> yeah. Um, don't want to be around when that happens. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Uh, animals in the area, black bears. There were once grizzlies in the area, but there hasn't been an official sighting since 1996. So this section of the Cascades was selected as a grizzly bear restoration habitat in 1997, but plans to proceed with the reintroduction of grizzly bears to this area were halted in July, 2020. I wonder why did they, did they state a reason why they weren't? Um, one of the, the main reasons I think that I read was, they determined that grizzly bears really aren't endangered anymore. And um, a lot of the local people in the area were for the grizzly bears being reintroduced, but it might've been because of the pandemic. I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I'm sure everyone just blames like, no matter what's happening. 2020 uh, is the pandemic. Yeah, it's, uh, what's going to happen with the pandemic? We're not going to do that. Uh, there's bald eagles, wolves, uh, mountain lions. Uh, overall, there are about 75 species of mammals, 200 species of birds in the region. Um, so, Mountain lions, black bears, probably the biggest threat. Yeah. I mean, black bears, probably you're not going to, you know, not going to say it never will happen, but you probably won't 
get killed by a black bear, but they yeah. may, if you leave your food out and don't take precautions, they will come in your camp and eat it. Yeah, they're not <laughs> necessarily overly aggressive all the time unless you're doing something you shouldn't. And mountain lions, we've talked about, you know, if you have really little kids hiking with you, stay close to them. Don't let them wander off because a mountain lion will, if yeah. a child is by itself out in the woods. Yeah, and some some smaller adults. We've seen that in the past couple of years, like joggers. If like yeah. you're moving fast and you're by yourself, like you put yourself at risk. There was that guy, it was a... Uh, Two years ago, he, like, fought one off. Yeah, I remember so that like, news. Yeah, so it's not impossible. It is super rare, though. Yeah. Um, but we'll just go from there. So in the terrain, the peak is primarily composed of intrusive quartz diorite. But the southwest slopes are metal volcanic rock. So is that similar to, like, in the last one we were talking about, the metal volcanics, like, very slippery, I believe so. sharp edge? Yeah, I mean, the peak, the Vester Peak, from uh, talking with Elizabeth, is a pretty just massive granite slab. I think it kind of reminds me of um, um, in Yosemite. Okay. Uh, Half Dome. Okay. So it's kind of, a lot of it's kind of like that. So we'll go into a detailed description yes. of the trail Sam went on. This is where you got the information from our listener. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, major things outside of that exposure, you have your elevation stuff. Uh, you have the potential for avalanches because of the heavy snowfall yeah. and, the temper- and the temperature changes. Uh, I wouldn't put too much weight on wildlife being a risk no. uh, just because there's nothing significant out there. I would there. say, you know, probably in the summer months, watch out for, you know, thunderstorms like we mentioned. Because of the way the air masses meet over the Cascades, you do have that risk of uh, storms popping up. And um, from what I read, uh, the weather can change on a dime in the Cascades. So you always want to keep an eye in the sky when you're hiking. Okay. Like even if there's forecast reports, like things can just yeah. churn up. I mean, that's kind of true in any alpine environment you hike in. Yeah. I mean, you've hiked a lot in Colorado. The weather changes pretty quick out there. Yeah. And, uh, you just got to always be careful of, you know, the weather conditions. You you definitely do not want to get caught on a granite slab at 6,000 feet in a thunderstorm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, especially the metal frame backpack. Yes. Uh, Vesper, The Vesper Peak Trail is a 7.5-mile, heavily trafficked, one-way in and out, trail near index Washington that features a lake all trails rates this trail is difficult with optimal hiking times between June and October so it's not a loop it means 7.5 miles it's 7.5 miles there and back yeah and when I go through the actual hike that Sam did um, you'll realize that the trails aren't in spots aren't clearly marked but there's really no way you can get lost on this trail okay just and she was a regular hiker of the trail. very experienced hiker hiked this area many times um Someone that experience should not have gotten lost. <laughs> okay. So. All right. Uh, let's talk about Sam then. Yeah. <laughs> that would be you. <laughs> oh, me still? Oh, okay. I, I got to listen to my cues. Uh, so Samantha Sayers, uh, the date she went missing is 8-1 of 2018. She was 28 years old at the time of the disappearance. Uh, her height, 5'8", 125 pounds. Uh, she was bald, had star tattoos on her back, on the back of her head and multiple piercings, green eyes. The clothing she was last seen in was a green sports bra, gray workout pants, REI boots, hoodie, possibly maroon, a tan hat, hiking poles, which were red and silver, a blue local lion backpack with some black and gray and orange to it. Yeah. Uh, so when we're talking about her perf- personality, her boyfriend described her as a driven in everything she did, cleaning Airbnbs, flipping houses, hiking and traveling. Uh, her friend Kim, Kim Turner said she was a strong woman who was not afraid to speak her mind, and, and I love that about her. Turner says she was charismatic in the most genuine way. Sam was a proud LGBTQ ally thriving on activism. 
On Friday night, she joined Turner for what they called rant, wine, and cathartic heart-to-hearts. Yeah, she sounds like, um, you're reading about her, she sounds like a, the kind of person that if she got lost, she would put up a fight. I mean, she's not going to go out easily. She would survive if it was just a simple, I got lost. Can we start our own rant where we just go out and drink and <laughs> just talk about stuff? Don't we kind of already do that? <laughs> That's how the show started, I yeah, guess. Yeah, right? But, um, for medical issues, she was bald due to alopecia, but otherwise was in great health at the time of her disappearance. I was going to ask about that, like if yeah. she was a cancer survivor or anything. So it was just alopecia, which wouldn't affect her physical health nope. uh, in any way. Uh, occupation in 2000, she was a 2008 graduate of Northwest Pennsylvania Collegiate Academy, uh, State University of New York at Fredonia, where she graduated in 2013 with a bachelor's degree in technical theater and theater design and technology. Uh, she was a very experienced hiker and she had hiked this area many times before her disappearance. So she's very familiar with the trail she was on and the weather patterns and all the stuff about, uh, re- related to hiking in that area. Yeah, correct. Everything I read, um, she was very experienced. She hiked this location several times. So uh, we have no doubt that she didn't know what she was doing. Um, she hiked in August, which is a pretty good time of the month to hike this park or this forest area. And from what I read, the weather was pretty good on the day she went missing. So I don't think weather was a, a real factor in this disappearance. Okay. So and, and her boyfriend was, is that Kevin Dares is her boyfriend? Yeah. Okay. So Kevin is her boyfriend. And, uh, you know, he comes up uh, quite a bit in this and um, got some theories surrounding him. All right. <laughs> so we'll get to you, those. You did end. the research. So <laughs> yeah. don't go ahead on me. Let me, let me try and guess at some of them. Um, so before we get into the timeline, um, we are really th- thankful to listener Elizabeth who um, emailed us some descriptions of the exact uh, trail that Sam would have hiked because she's actually hiked this t- uh, trail multiple times. So um, I'm going to kind of go into what uh, Elizabeth told us, and um, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing some of what she said, but so locals uh, prefer to call this trail the Mountain Loop Highway, and I did see this come up in some of the news articles I read. It's one of the remote, more remote day hikes from Seattle, taking roughly about an hour and a half to drive to get there. There's no cell service along uh, the drive up there, and parts of the road are unpaved, so it's pretty rugged. Uh, and this area where Sam went missing, like we mentioned earlier, was a very rugged and remote uh, area of the National Forest. So um, all the trails up here, Elizabeth uh, told me, have a combination of old-growth forests, dense vegetation, uh, talus uh, in boulder fields. And if people aren't familiar with what talus is, it kind of um, – I got a picture here, but it's kind of uh, – I describe it as really big, like, flat, like, almost like plates of rock stacked up. It, it you know, kind of – You've seen Talus probably when you've hiked. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now because... If I, you scroll down a little bit in our notes, I got a picture there. Right. Um, yeah, it's kind of like... I've seen these on hikes too, and in some areas they pile up, and I imagine it's from like rock falls and... Yeah, it almost looks like like chunks of slate. Like they... Yeah. Like you can peel them apart. So it's like flat pancake rocks. They're stuck together. So it's not just normal round, like roundish scree. Yeah, it's bigger than that. So that's that's what talus is. We'll refer to that a, a few times here. But when you watch a YouTube video, when I eventually get to <laughs> editing it, um, I'll, I'll pull the picture up. I'm like an episode behind on this. It's okay. No one will hold it against you. Um, <laughs> so like I said, talus and boulder fields, lots of granite and uh, jagged peaks. Vesper Trail has all of these features. 
Uh, snow lingers at the upper elevations most of the year, and the weather can change very fast. We mentioned that earlier. Uh, even during the summer months, nighttime temps can sometimes dip into the 30s and 40s. So if I were hiking this area, I would probably bring a little bit of warm gear just in case something happened and you had to spend the night in 30-degree weather. That could get pretty cold. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to reach the Vesper Trailhead, you need to turn off the highway and drive up a very rough service road. Uh, depending on recent weather, uh, the road sometimes washes away. Elizabeth mentioned to us that um, she's seen in the past sometimes large chunks of the road missing after landslides. So, um, you know, you <laughs> hopefully you don't drive up there and then yeah. you're trying to get back out and the road's gone. But but um, the whole area can be treacherous if like you yeah. you can sometimes come across roads that you can't even drive down. Yeah, so uh, the trail starts off in an old-growth forest, and there's a stream crossing or two, but nothing significant, and the trail is very obvious. Uh, then you break out uh, of the forest onto a steep hillside with waist-high, dense vegetation. At this point, it'd be very hard to get lost off-trail because you'd have to bushwhack your way up. So there's a very kind of distinct you know, path up the mountain, and it wouldn't really make sense for someone to get lost in a lot of these spots because it just you would instantly know you were lost. Um, so eventually you round a bend into a larger basin, mostly full of uh, talus rocks and a few sparse trees. Uh, in the basin is where you can easily lose the trail because there isn't really one, uh, just a few cairns. So I've, we've all hiked in areas like this where it's a real rocky area and there's really, you can't really see a path. There might be a little bit of path of like crushed rock where a lot of people have walked, but you follow those cairns on the ground and that's kind of how you, you navigate up the mountain. And, it, you know, since Sam went missing, they've actually added more cairns to make the trail, um, you know, a little easier to follow. But even if you Those were are to... Those the one cairns that you can add rocks to as you pass. Yeah. That's like a right... I always throw at least one on there every time I go by. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't like, kick them down or anything. That's just a real uh, crappy move for, you know, everyone else that gets yeah. to hike that. That's <laughs> if you're in a mountain with no trees. Those cairns are good. The ones that people build in the rivers and stuff, those are not good. Yeah. Um, and e <clears throat> even at this point of the trail, it would be um, pretty hard to get lost because uh, there's really only one way to go up because of sheer cliffs on both sides of this basin. So, um, you know. All right. So even if you're like meandering, you can only go there's only one forward way or backward. Yeah. Okay. Um, so once at the top of the basin, you climb a steep uh, coulier. How do you say that? Coulier. Coulier. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a narrow gully with steep gradient uh, to the top of Hedel Pass, which is at 4,600 feet. And on either side of the pass is another small talus field. Uh, from here, you must traverse the talus field uh, less than a half mile. This is one of the few places someone might get lost on this trail. But in order to get lost, you'd have to be heading back down which would be obvious to most hikers. So, so again, they're only at 4,600 feet and there's no vegetation. Is it because it's just so all rock? Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. I know the tree line in the Cascades is higher than that, but um, it, it's probably just a matter of uh, like, there's just nothing growing there. Nothing, nothing growing nothing there. With altitude. Yeah. Okay. And we may be wrong on that. So someone will correct um, us. Yeah. I'll look up. <laughs> I'm going to look up uh, images while you're, while you're still going. Yeah. So at the end of the Talus Slope, you reach Vesper Creek, which takes you to Vesper Lake. Uh, you turn left at the lake and just head straight up um, kind of the big granite slab to the top. Uh, and like I said, the peak is just a big granite slope. So it'd be pretty hard to get lost at this point. If you did get lost at this point, you would know fairly soon since you'd need ropes to continue up. So there is a pretty um, easily followed path up the mountain. And, and Elizabeth described it to me that 
um, if you, you veered off on either side of that, you wouldn't really be able to go any further because you would need actual ropes and climbing gear to go up. So that's kind of a theme for this whole case is the trail is hard to get lost on. And Sam was a very experienced hiker. So it, it doesn't make a lot of sense for, um, you know, the, the, you know, she got lost theory. So that is kind of a description of the Vesper trail up to Vesper peak. I'm going to now go into the timeline of Sam's disappearance. So like Joe mentioned earlier, it started on uh, August 1st of 2018. Around 8 a.m., Sam heads out um, on the Vesper Trail. She had planned to check in with her boyfriend, Kevin, that evening by 6 p.m. He was unable to hike that day due to uh, he had something with work, so he couldn't go. But he did text her uh, that morning and said, be safe, SOS me if uh, anything goes haywire. And her reply was, thanks, baby, I love you. So... That was the last communication that Kevin or anyone had with Sam. Um, Sam did sign the register at the trailhead for the Mountain Loop Highway. This would be the last known location for Sam. Uh, The register is used to log hikers on the Sunrise Mine Trail. So um, we have the text around 8 a.m., and then we have at some point in the morning, Sam signed the register at the beginning of the trailhead. So that is the only official location that we know where she was uh other day hikers recall seeing her um hiking up mainly because of you know she was bald and she uh she liked to hike a lot of times in just a sports bra which is kind of uncommon (laughs) so people remember distinctly you know seeing her um going up the mountain and i did see in some articles there were some reports that state sam did summit vesper peak and then disappeared at some point on her way down, but others have disputed that claim. So we don't really know if she made it up to the peak of Vesper peak. Yeah. Did they, they didn't mention why they assume that? No. Um, it's, I'm trying to recall in the research I did, it, it just, it was, um, there were a couple articles that say she summited and then people in the comments were saying, no, that never happened. So, um, I think it's safe to assume that we don't know if she made it up to the peak or if she made it back down and when she disappeared along that timeline. Uh, We do know that people saw her going up. So uh, at some point in the day, someone saw her. So uh, now we're on uh, August 1st of 2018 in the evening. Um, This has got to be sometime after 6 p.m. because that's when she was supposed to check in with her boyfriend, Kevin. Kevin grew concerned that she hadn't called or texted him yet. This was something they always did. Uh, very, you know, she would always text at 6 p.m. or whatever time they agreed upon. And when she didn't text him or call him, he got concerned. So Sam got in his car and uh, drove up to Vesper Peak. Um, so he drove to the trailhead uh, a little over an hour and a half from Belltown, stopping at a gas station to buy a flashlight. When he got there, the, tr- the parking lot was empty, but he could see that her car was still there. So her car uh, was parked in the gravel parking lot at the trailhead. So we know she was there. Her car was there. She signed the register. People on the trail saw her. So um, it's now uh, 10 p.m. on the 1st. And with the flashlight in his hand, uh, Kevin starts hiking up the path in the middle of the night. Jeez, uh, that's dangerous. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that, uh, you know... I like he didn't, did he call anybody at that point or I don't think so. There was no, 
nothing that I read said that he told anyone he was going up there to look for. And this is where things start to not make sense to me, partly because if it, it sounds like Kevin did a lot of hiking with her and does he not have, you know, like a headlamp or any kind of gear that he could go? Like if I'm going to look for somebody in the middle of the night in a, a rugged remote forest, I'm going to bring a lot of gear with me in case I get lost or sure. injured because it's at night. Hiking in the dark is, you know, pretty dangerous, even if you know the area. Yeah, maybe he's just super concerned and really not thinking, like just went straight there. Just went straight there, didn't grab anything and drove right to the trailhead. Yeah, I mean, that, it sounds like that's what he did. Um, so, and of course on the last push up to Vesper peak, Kevin tripped and broke his flashlight, forcing him to turn back. And he had to use a cell phone light to, uh, make the, the trip back to his car. So, uh, he then drove 20 miles back down, uh, the mountain loop highway to the, uh, Verlo public service center, a visitor center staffed by us forest service rangers during the day, but closed at night. Um, but th- this is interesting I think on our trip to West Virginia, you you took a picture next to a payphone, yeah, and you were you were making you know jokes about how you, last time you saw one was like twenty years ago, yeah, so, you know, like it was working too. That's why it was pretty crazy to me. Yeah, but at this um, service station, they actually have a payphone there, and uh, it's been a lifesaver for a lot of missing people. There have been twenty five calls to nine one one made between twenty fifteen and twenty seventeen alone. So they have this payphone kind of out in the middle of nowhere so that you can call if something happens. So he calls uh, 911 to uh, report uh, her missing, and they do have a recording of Kevin's 911 call. And the operator asks uh, what Sam had with her, and he goes, little cold weather gear, no headlamp, uh, three or four sandwiches plus snacks. She never skimped on snacks. His voice sounded strained, sometimes wavering with panic. Uh, he goes on to say, I had my flashlight going, banging, screaming, no word. Um, and then he, he finally tells the 911 operator that I think she's hurt. So that's, um, so, that's so terrifying. Yeah. So, you know, this kind of gives us a little insight into the gear that Sam might have had with her. And obviously she wasn't preparing for an overnight stay in this area. She didn't have, you know, much cold weather gear, no headlamp um, and, you know, some sandwiches and stuff, but it doesn't. It to me, it doesn't sound like she was planning for a you know multi day stay in the woods. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's now uh, August second of twenty eighteen, one thirty a.m. Kevin is still at the station. So now Sergeant John Q. Adams arrives. Um, this was Adams' first year as a search and rescue sergeant. He uh, took over from a, a predecessor who oversaw SAR response for twenty two years um, at the Snohomish uh, County Sheriff's Office. Uh, Kevin had also around this time posted a plea on Facebook, SOS, SOS, need help ASAP, he wrote, missing Samantha Sayers, please hurry back in, uh, back in Pennsylvania. This was how Sam's mother heard of the news. So can you imagine uh, not getting a call from anyone or you just read a post on Facebook yeah. that says like SOS, SOS, need help ASAP. I mean, that's got to yeah, be terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> so... It is now uh, August 2nd, 2018 at 6 a.m. So the search and rescue operation got rolling pretty darn fast. So we can safely say that probably around 1.30 a.m. is when Sam was officially reported missing. And volunteers started arriving at 6 a.m. at the station. And they took off in teams to comb the trail and call out Sam's name. 
uh, Adams dispatched the county-owned uh, Snowhawk 1 helicopter on what was turning into be a cloudy Thursday. Uh, the aircraft was equipped with FLIR, which is an infrared camera that scanned for heat signatures. Uh, and the pilots also were just sticking their heads out the window looking. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been looking at Google Earth yeah. and some of the maps, and the trail is visible from satellite. <laughs> so, like, it's, like, that's, even in, like, some of the forested areas. Yeah. Um, like, I can see it on Google Earth, like, where the trail is distinct from the actual river. Yeah. And then it gets above this tree area where it's fairly wide open. So, I could imagine that would work for them just looking out the window. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that helicopter is in the air with FLIR uh, using their infrared radar. And they, they actually sp- spotted a tree on fire, but they didn't they didn't see Sam. Uh, it Reports go on the state that Everett Mountain Rescue, a specialized group of volunteers equipped to explore Vesper's alpine environment and join the operation as well. So, uh, like we stated earlier, this did turn out to be one of the larger search and rescue operations in Washington State's history. And you can kind of see that as I go into kind of what happened during the search. So, we're now on the weekend. It's uh, August 4th of 2018. Uh, SAR teams, which are all volunteers from King, Skagit, uh, Kitsap, uh, Kittitas and Pierce counties had deployed along with four other mountain rescue squads. They had trained dogs um, to check for scents and uh, human trackers scoured for footprints. Others examined the creek. Uh, Adams established an operation base at nearby Big Four uh, ice caves and at Espada Lake uh, far below Vesper's southwest side. Um, also, a dozen PJs, or uh, they're called uh, Air Force Pararescue Personnel, came up from Oregon, and they flew uh, Navy missions. So uh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, they had a lot of the best people you could have working on this thing. Yeah, and a uh, real interesting thing happened, and I think uh, this must have been just like, oh, we found her. And then, the, you know, kind of their hopes were crushed. But... <laughs> Uh, the, an Air Force rescue coordination team was actively monitoring Sam's phones uh, for pings and a sign of brief connectivity to cellular, uh, cellular sites. Uh, they had nothing since mid-afternoon on August 1st when Sam's phone pinged near the summit. So we have another piece of evidence right there that she was close to the summit, at least based on um, cell phone tower data. Um, so that is, that's, I guess, one of the only areas in the region that gets cell service and then they had a breakthrough. Uh, Sam's phone pinged a, a and it was uh, it pinged from somewhere in Seattle near Belltown. So they're like, "Holy cow! She made it back off the mountain and is in Seattle." So Seattle P, uh, P, the Seattle Police Department was dispatched to the coordinates, but when they knocked on the door to Kevin and Sam's apartment, um, Sam wasn't there. What happened was Kevin's mother who had flown in from Louisiana, had spent the day working with the phone carrier to access information on Sam's cell phone. And basically what the carrier did was they loaded the SIM signature onto Dawn's mobile phone, effectively cloning Sam's phone, which is why it pinged in Seattle. Oh, my gosh. So, like, for probably a couple hours, they legitimately thought that Sam made it back to Seattle, which is crazy. And that's the first time I've heard of that happening during a search where they've cloned the phone. That's like cool that they did it, but like how like retching is that to find yeah. out like like you have this like roller coaster of like <laughs> yeah. I think we got her and then you find out it's like no. Yeah. No, it's not. So um they the official search lasted for twenty two days and ended on August twenty third of twenty eighteen. 
Uh, this is a direct quote from Search and Rescue Sergeant John Adams. He said, we have exhausted all leads and tips. We've interviewed all witnesses who have come forward. We have checked and double-checked uh, the possible routes uh, we believe Sam could have taken. If there was a place we thought she could get to, we put people there to look for Sam, often putting our volunteers and personnel at great risk due to the rugged, remote, and dangerous terrain. Um, so after 22 days of extensive searching, no definitive signs uh, ever surfaced. They did find some footsteps, uh, footsteps on the southeast side, which they think could have been Sam's, but they weren't sure, and it didn't really reveal anything. Um, yeah, and they said it's pretty heavily trafficked. Yeah. Site, so that's what it's like. It's hard Heavily to trafficked in a rugged, remote area. So probably, you know, it's not like a trail and glacier or something. But sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, you know, these searchers looked in every place a hiker could have conceivably fallen, but some couldn't be completely ruled out. Um, Adams went on to say that below the steep north face of Vesper Peak, the edge of the glacier formed a moat at the base of the cliff, its bottom impossible to reach beneath the ice. So there is a chance... Uh, she could have fallen in. Elizabeth actually mentioned this in one of her theories that if someone had, would, had fallen into that spot on the mountain, there's no way searchers could get down there safely to search. Repeat where it was again, just because I pulled the map up and I want to see. Yeah, so below the uh, steep north face of Vesper Peak, uh, there is, there's an edge of a glacier f that forms a moat at the base of the cliff. Its bottom is impossible to reach beneath the ice. So somebody could conceivably fall from the peak and get stuck down in there, and there's no way searchers would be able to get down there to to search. Jeez. So, um, there there is a chance. I just, and we're not to theories yet, so I won't go into too much uh, theory here. But I just don't see someone that experienced in good weather falling. Yeah, uh, like I just taking risks by themselves. Like yeah, I just it, like it, I wouldn't do it if I was by myself. That just doesn't make sense to me. So, yep. uh, to sum up the. Um, the search in total, 70 searchers on foot, 14 dog teams and helicopters searched the Vesper area to no avail. At one point, drone operators and the sheriff's Marine unit were involved. In addition, volunteer searchers from around the state spent thousands of hours of time leaving bags with a note saying, stay strong. We're looking for you. Everyone is thinking of you with a poncho, socks, energy bars, compass, flashlight, fire sticks, and a lighter. Uh, the sheriff's office said that since August 2nd, search operations included 357 hours of air operations from the sheriff's office and other agencies, 105 hours of drone operations in the search area, 82 hours for the Marine unit to support search teams in Spada Lake, 329 hours for a sheriff's office search and rescue personnel, and thousands of volunteer hours from search and rescue teams from around the state. So a massive operation, um, and... Uh, it's it's in the theories. I'm gonna go into why I think they didn't find her, but you would think unless she fell from the peak into that area by the glacier where they couldn't search, you would find her. Yeah. Um. If something happened. Yeah. Just I'm. I, granted, this these images from the satellite, you know, were taken potentially not when when she was there, but I mean, it's snowy in the images. Yeah. And it's just so wide open. It's yeah. not like there's a ton of brush. And like I said, these trails are so well marked. You can see them from the satellite, which is not super common. Mm -hmm. So uh, August 24th, 2018, the unofficial search for Sam starts. And I won't go into too much detail because there's a lot of additional information here. But 
Uh, David Francis, um, he's a Minnesota man who lost his son 13 years earlier. Now, he now leads a foundation to aid families and adults lost in the wilderness. Uh, he flew to Seattle to meet with Kevin and the county SAR team to kind of make a plan because the family still wanted to keep searching. And his advice was to follow a mountain man named Bud Carr. Now, Bud Carr, I've heard of his name before. Um, one of the podcasts uh, that I, I've talked with the, the hosts, they um, it's called Lost in the Woods. Uh, they actually interviewed Bud Carr in one of their episodes a few episodes ago. Um, but he, uh, he was raised by a father who introduced him to both search and rescue um, early on, and he's a very defiant, self-sufficient um, guy. Uh, he said he's kind of a he's kind of militant. His voice softer than his camo wardrobe suggests. <laughs> and he's like, I've always had this warrior mindset, being proficient anything that uh, uh, militant. So impressed by Carr's careful hand drawn maps of the search um, area, Francis recommended that he be put in charge of the family search operation. So between Carr's military mindset and Kevin's own stint in the Navy, they approached the the mountain with a tactical eye. Uh, and they actually called it Operation Relentless Pursuit. Um, but in the, um, in the Belltown apartment, they hung maps and they scrawled out Sharpie notes directly on the wall. They wrote operating plans, considered moon phases and water sources. I mean, they were literally going at this like a military operation. Yeah, they broke everything down. Yeah. And um, Kevin asked his father, the command chief warrant officer in the Louisiana National Guard, to run the mountain camp. Um, so with his dark pointed goatee and survivalist reddit, Carr rubbed many people the wrong way. So um, Carr is kind of one of those characters who, a lot of those people that are very kind of um, self-confident and like in charge, kind of either love him or hate him. Sure. <laughs> and uh, he did rub a lot of people the wrong way. Um, online critics pull up evidence of past felonies. He helped burgle, <laughs> I always love that word, a burgle a gun store before uh, the year 2000. Um, and he admits this, but he found Buddhism in his four years in prison, and he's kind of a reformed person. So you know, I wouldn't hold that against him. I mean, well, I wouldn't. A lot of times you see like um, pre people who used to be addicts and drugs or criminals that are actually reformed. Yeah. They get like relentless in the pursuit of doing better things. Yeah. They so devote like, their life to helping yeah, others. Yeah, and a lot and, of times they have more drive as a result of their past life to, like, go really hard at stuff. So, I mean, yeah. that, that looks like it's in line. It's like... He served he, his if, time. Well, he served his time, and if he actually was, like, repentant of yeah. his time, like, he probably looks at life as, how can I, like, make up for what I've done? Yeah. And you can tell, like, he's going hard at this thing for somebody he doesn't know. Yep. And he's like, I'm going to help this I'm going to help this person. Yeah, and he kind of, um, he leads a group of people that does a lot of searches for missing people once the official search ends. So he is doing a lot of good in trying to help find people. Um, there was a lot of online criticism, though, of the, the campsite that they, they had. Um, apparently, they weren't, they weren't following like a leave no trace principle and kind of their goal was to find Sam at any cost necessary. So... Um, they probably weren't the cleanest. Yeah. I mean, even the, the U S forest service denied access for their helicopter and, um, they, you know, they reached out to politicians and anyone they could and eventually got approvals. But, um, yeah, you know, he was a very polarizing figure and a lot yeah. of people, a lot of locals probably didn't like him. And, well, um, you, as soon as you said online criticism, like, well, yeah, yeah exactly. I, you can't do anything. 
Um, <laughs> you not get criticism online from somebody who's unhappy. Yeah, so, I mean, that is, you know, and they're still looking for it to this day. I mean, it was only 2018, so it wasn't that long ago, and um, no traces have been found. I've done, a, I did a lot of searching to see if there's been any new clues, and um, from what I can find, there there's nothing since she went missing. Um, there was a Facebook page called uh, Find Sam Sayers that, Got up to thirty thousand followers, and a, a GoFundMe page raised almost sixty grand for um, search efforts. So this became a very um, a lot of people online, uh, you know, took over and wanted to help. They had a lot of just random people come and help search. I read they had a trucker from Memphis who read about Sam online and dropped everything he was doing to come climb the mountain. Um, and so you had stuff people like that and. We've talked in prior cases where a lot of the search professionals, while grateful that these people want to help, it's not always the best situation when you have lots of inexperienced people. Yeah, when you're getting amateurs involved, and I'm just this this mountain is legit. Like yeah. it's it's not a small <laughs> like this is something I would very much enjoy doing because it's hard. Yeah, and the fact that she's doing it in a day like this is something because I don't climb mountains every day. I, this would be like a two dayer for me because I wouldn't want to exert myself. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of the, the timeline. Um, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll go into theories now. I've got, I've got some theories. I've, I've got, I've posted some crazy stuff I read on Reddit. Um, I don't know. Before I go into what I have down, what do you think happened, Joe? So I feel like based on what I'm seeing and I'm, I, I've been taking like screenshots as I'm yeah. going through like Google earth. Cause I got it in 3d mode and I'm looking at this mountain. If she ran into issues while hiking, it definitely happened in the last mile or so yeah. because it's, it's fairly navigable and I'm not going to say flat, but I mean, it's following rivers. Uh, it, it's just very easy trail, but then it like when you're going up to Heedle pass, it starts getting very steep. You're starting to do your zigzags to get up the side of the mountain. Yeah. When you get up into Vesper Lake, it's you're getting into, you know, glaciated snow and things like that. I feel like if there was some sort of accident, it would have happened between her time in Vesper Lake and Vesper Peak and back again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very small in regards to the whole hike, but I'm just looking at a lot of sheer faces, a lot of snow, yeah. a lot of ice. Um, like we said in the beginning, this is like the state of crevasses. <laughs> my my major theory would be some sort of she fall. fell some at sort the peak. Of, not, yeah, but not like oh, I was looking over an edge, like stepped in some snow and yeah. it was a crevasse or something or misstep. I don't know. Yeah, I would like to um, if uh, who is uh, who is the listener that recommended the show? Uh, Elizabeth Barney. I would love to get from Elizabeth like what the crevasse danger is and what avalanche danger is here. Because definitely when you said on the north side of the peak, when I'm looking at this, it's definitely like avalanche shoot right down yeah. the side, um, which the hiking trail doesn't go through there. Yeah. But if you have loose snow and this is obviously a satellite image, not from when she was up there, there could have been more, there could have been less. Yeah. Um, I feel it has to be completely ice snowfall related. Okay. Like I, I just don't see it being, and the fact they can't find her because it's not super, it's it's lots of open sheer rock faces. Most of the trail you wouldn't get lost on. I'm like 90% certain I can actually see people on this image. <laughs> like 
that, like, cause I'm looking at rocks and stuff and there's yeah. two figures that are right where the trail would be on the snow. Yeah. That like when the satellite image was taken, like you can see it very clear yeah. that it might be like two backpackers hiking up. So like, like I said, how easily I can see the trail from these satellite images mm-hmm. and other features flying over this. Yeah. Like, it'd be very, very visible. Yeah. Well, even, uh, even Elizabeth mentioned that, um, if she had fallen, you would assume that you'd see her gear kind of strewed out because it's a big granite slab. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they didn't find anything like that, I don't think that means you can rule out a fall. I think, you know, perhaps she fell somehow near the peak or at the peak and somehow fell into that area by the glacier where it's just impossible to search. Yeah. And she'll never, they'll Here, never look, find the, look at, look at this. I was going to show this. Yeah. I'm not crazy. So there's the peak. Yeah. And I'll put this up on the video. When you're zooming in, here's the line. Like, look, you can kind of see the line in the snow even. Yeah. Right here. That is like definitely two people with their shadows. Yeah. Look at that. that is a guy. That's another guy. Yeah. With the shadow <laughs> being cast. Like this is images from space. Yeah. <laughs> so like a helicopter flying over, or yeah. whatever they are using, they're using FLIR. Yeah, like on snow. So all I'm thinking is she's below the surface. Yeah, and where's that going to happen in these snow fields or yep. at Vesper Lake potentially? Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I, I would love to talk to her to get a bigger idea of like, hey, is Vesper Lake actually a frozen surface and it's a deep lake underneath that just never thaws? Like, it'd be great to try to get um, Sergeant Adams on a call to yeah. talk to him about the search um, because. Uh, I, I couldn't find an official police report, but Sergeant Adams kind of made a statement about what he thought happened. He still thinks Sam is somewhere on the mountain, not far from where she was last seen. He points to the moats off the north side of the peak where the steep bottom of the cliff meets the glacier. And that's where we keep talking about if she fell into there, there's no way they would find her because, A, they're not going to, it's so dangerous, they're not going to put searchers at risk to go down in there. And you would be covered by, you know, snow melt, snow melt, snow. You know, it's going to fluctuate, and she could be under the glacier. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, that's right. That's the whole north side. That yeah. just sheer drop off, and then that's that shoot that, like, yeah. you can see it has run off through there. I'm so going to snap this picture, too. I think if, if that's the theory, I think uh, for me, that is one of the main theories. I think what happened to her, I don't. I'm ruling out animal attack. Yeah, I'd say definitely not animal. Um, so do you think she like slipped? If if you're going with that theory, do you feel like she was at the peak and somehow lost footing? That would have to be my guess. Just based on the description of the hike up, there's really nowhere. I mean, that's not to say she couldn't have fallen and got injured on the way up, but she would have been found. Yeah. The only thing I'm thinking of is she was up on the peak, there must have, if she had fallen, there must have been no one up there with her at the moment because if she had fallen, someone would have seen that yeah. and reported it. No one reported seeing her at the peak or seeing her fall. So um, that's one theory. Um, the f- family and friends, you know, think she got lost or injured, and some still think she's alive. Um, now, getting into some of the crazy internet theories. Um, and, th- Oh, real quick, this is yeah. 2018. Yes, uh, August uh, 2018. Okay, so this satellite image is from 724 of 2018. Okay, so, so month, this is very a week or two before. Yeah, so this is actually very accurate to yeah. 
what it was like when she was there. So all the images uh, we'll post on Facebook and will be in the video are and uh, a Elizabeth very actually representation of what it looked like she, when she disappeared. She actually emailed us pictures of the trail up. Okay, um, I'll send those uh, to you, Joe. Yeah, let's we'll do a Facebook like portfolio yeah. of all these, and then I'll I'll have them pop up in the video as we're talking to. Um, so some of the e- even the image of the what I think are people. <laughs> yeah, I, it's um, right on the trail. So yeah, I think I think my main theory is that uh, she experienced some kind of fall near the peak or at the peak that caused her to fall into one of those moats that Sergeant Adams talked about, and she'll never be found because of the, you know, the location she fell in. Um, some of the the opinions online, I don't know, I I just mentioned these just to kind of some because they're there weird theories out there. Yeah, so. Um, one woman online said her brother-in-law could have abducted Sam given a coincidentally timed vacation. The woman had borrowed his vehicle once and even, um, even though it was very clean, it smelled of, uh, semen and dead bodies. Sorry to be crass. <laughs> that was a, a Reddit user. Well, this was related to a, a brother-in-law. Dep- this was re- uh, related to a police, a uh, police officer who uh, took the report down. So this was like an official statement that someone made to law enforcement. Wow. It's um, either true or she really doesn't like her brother-in-law. Well, I don't know. Um, yeah, that's true. So okay. it, take these with a grain of salt. These are um, things I found online. Um, another Reddit user is convinced that Kevin is involved. Um, so he he stated that it his whole story of the events after she didn't check in at 6 p.m. seemed fishy to him. Now, I don't put a lot of weight on Reddit theories, we've said this a million times, but when I was thinking about what he was saying, kind of made sense to me. So he's like an hour and a half away from where she was hiking. And well, he, he was at work. So he's got an alibi at least during the time where she was hiking. Well, from what I read, he, he couldn't go hiking because of something with work. I don't know if he was at work or not. You would assume that they would have checked that out. But, um, so, um, the, the theory that the Redditor had was that it, it seemed fishy that he so quickly uh, left to go straight up to Vesper Peak to go looking for literally maybe an hour after she didn't check in. What if, you know, she lost her phone and was just on the drive home and she was just going to be late? Or maybe she stopped a visit with some friends or, you know, who knows what happened. Um Joe, if if you're if you were with your wife and she went out hiking on a solo hike and she was supposed to check in at six o'clock and you were like two hours away and it's like seven, would you suddenly freak out and drive two hours to go look with look for her with no gear and a flashlight? Or would you just wait a few hours to see if she shows up? Um I'm trying to be a hundred percent honest. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, honestly, I probably, well, and here's the deal. I'm thinking of it from my perspective. Yeah. I don't like the idea of hiking alone in general. I don't either. I, I wouldn't let her go by herself. Not, not because, oh, she's a woman or whatever. Like I, like I wouldn't go hiking by myself on this trip. Yeah. Um, all right. So if I'm of the, okay, we live out there. There's hundreds of hikes. We You've do it all it the before. time. Yeah. I'm um, trying to like put myself in their shoes. Um, if 
if I were that way and still kind of the, the person I am where I'm very vigilant about itineraries, checking in, things like that. Yeah. I would probably have started heading that way, but the first thing I would have done is called the authorities in that area and said, right. she's supposed to check in. Here's her itinerary. This is what they're doing. I'm leaving to come up there. Yeah. But I would be like, hey, uh, my girlfriend or my wife, like, is oh, we're very vigilant about this. This is abnormal for us. Not, oh, this happens all the time. We are very vigilant about yeah. this, the thing we, that we do, and she's not doing it. And would you go unprepared? You would bring a hiking bag. I would, gra- <laughs> yeah, I would, I, I would very take the 20 minutes yeah. to grab the emergency gear. Throw and, a headlamp in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, and so. Now, here's the deal. I think that I have a lot of emergency training. I'm really calm in these types of situations. Yeah. Uh, maybe he has high anxiety. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's people that panic at the smallest things. Yep. So if he is kind of panicking, when there's people that are going through something like that, they don't make good decisions. So, I mean, we're like, you know, Monday morning quarterback in this thing. I know. Uh, but I, so I'm just trying to think rationally, like, I'm not the type of person, that f- I'd be freaking out, but I'd be still collected enough to be like, okay, I, if I'm going out there, I need X, Y, Z so that I also don't get hurt. Yeah. If I'm somebody that's prone to anxiety or panic, mm-hmm. I might just start driving and be like, uh, I'll grab stuff on the way. Yeah. Like, uh, so I, I'm not, what I'm trying to get at is I don't think there's anything that he did at this point that would freak me out. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just saying that, it just seemed kind of odd to immediately go looking with no gear and not calling anyone, yeah. you know, law enforcement. Um, I mean, we have to fully assume that law enforcement fully vetted him and he was not a suspect in the case. I mean, she did sign the trail register, so I'm sure they probably looked at her signature to verify that it was matching other signatures of hers. You know, like you could you could think like... Was, was her car there? Yeah. Still? Her car was okay. there. People saw her on the trail. Well, I'm I'm almost thinking like, okay, maybe she came out, and uh, if I'm thinking, happened. yeah, like if I'm gonna like go down, okay, let's 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 see if it's possible for the boyfriend to have been involved. Yeah, uh, she did check in. He drove up there, met her at the trailhead, and something did something, uh, and then disposed of the body, and then blamed it on that. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. I would wonder what the motive would be. Yeah. For, I mean, her, her friends were like, oh, his boyfriend was abusing her, or there's no red flags from anything that anybody said. Yeah, there was no indication that anything like that was going on. So um, I just mentioned this because it did seem a little strange, at least what I would have done. Um, but that was just one of the theories um, that I found on the Internet. And um, to, to kind of close the episode, I was going to give a, a couple, read a little bit of what our local listener Elizabeth said about this case and she wrote us and said now on the summit there are a few places that are basically a sheer drop-off if you lost your footing it would be game over but people saw her on the peak and I believe someone reported seeing her on the way down but even if she did fall off the peak somewhere and her body was hidden among the granite wouldn't her stuff have been thrown during the fall and landed on the rocks wouldn't some of it been visible to the helicopters or rock climbers who belayed down in every direction off that peak uh, she goes on to say, I guess there's always the possibility of foul play, but my only other guess would be that instead of traversing the upper talus fields, she went down it and got lost. But like I said, it would be just hard to get very far before you realize you weren't in the right place, especially if you've been there before. Uh, she also went on to say, I also think the weather was pretty good that time of year. So if she did get lost, she would have been able to hunker down for a few days and uh, you know, was reported missing, I think, that night when she didn't return home. 
So, um, you know, Elizabeth said the weather was good. This Sam was very experienced. She probably could have survived a few nights in that area. Um, she had, a, you know, a couple sandwiches and some snacks and there's lakes and streams there that she could have had water. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I think the two theories I'm going with are one, she had some kind of accident at the peak and fell and some, you know, it is possible that if there were other people on the peak looking the other direction, people could fall and not make a sound. I mean, that's possible. She slipped and went right over. It happens so yeah. fast. They look back over. She's not there. Maybe they just assume she started walking back down. That's possible. Yeah. I think it's, I, I agree with you. It's possible. I think highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. I think my, my second theory is she did make it back down and something happened to her in the parking lot. Not saying that her boyfriend was involved. Yeah, but like maybe somebody, it was later Somebody snatched her up. It was later in the evening. Like we said, that's a pretty remote and rugged area. If there's somebody that, you know, a predator in the area, they could have snatched her up. I mean, she was only 125 pounds. Um, it's possible, you know, I didn't see anything in the police reports about a struggle in the parking lot. Like, I think if... You, you could tell if, like, maybe there were, like, f- drag marks from feet or, like, some kind of, like, scuffle ensued. Yeah. That skilled people would be able to notice that happening. And the fact that, that she was reported missing so quickly, I'm guessing that parking lot was closed off the next morning to new people coming in to hike, so it should have been pretty well preserved. Yeah. So. Yeah, my, my guess is some And there was no nothing mes- uh, mentioned anywhere about a struggle in the parking lot or anything along the trail. I mean, we got to assume the trail was probably closed off after she was reported missing. The yeah. only search personnel. Yeah. My, my guess is something happened between Heedle pass and Vesper peak and they found no trace of her. Like, yeah, I, I, so, and it's not like people could mistake her for someone else. She was bald with a tattoo on the back of her head. Yeah. That's pretty distinguishable. I mean, it's not like just some random person in hiking gear. Um, she was in a sports bra and she had a bald head. Yep. Yeah. You don't mistake yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you're not coming across many people that are, are like that. So, yeah. So I don't know. I, this is another really puzzling case. I don't know what happened. I mean, I, the best theory I can come up with is she fell and is under a glacier, unfortunately. Um, so I guess with that, I would just like to really thank Elizabeth for, um, listening to the show and giving us some great insight into the trail and kind of what she thinks happens. And um, I think anyone else that listens uh, to our cases and they're from those areas, we'd love to hear your input on future cases too. So don't be afraid to reach out to us. Yeah. And thanks again for tuning into the show. We appreciate you all for listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we have the YouTube channel up and running, although I think we lost our video halfway through this one. So I'll just end it with all pictures. Uh, <laughs> like it said, some encoding error. That's why I got up. Okay. Um, uh, if you would like to support the show monetarily, we do have the Facebook store. We also have the store on our website. Uh, you can get cool swag. You can also be a Patreon uh, listener when you have ac- access to extra shows. Plus the different tiers, will, uh, different tiers will get you some swag as well. And last but not least, remember when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or just taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time.